And welcome back to Restless. I'm Father Joseph Gill in the Diocese of Bridgeport, coming to you live out of Stamford, Connecticut, along with Diane, Lauren, and special guest, Mary Kulhanek. Thank you so much for joining us, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. This is her second episode. We're very grateful. She uh, came on earlier to talk about Humani Vitae. And so now we're going to kind of talk about Humani Vitae Part 3, which is uh, really kind of about natural family planning and what that is, what that entails. And it's kind of, in a very real way, the best-kept secret, perhaps in, in the church and in the world. Because I tell you, when I meet with married couples, I always require them to take a course in it. And I ask them, do you know what NFP is? And almost everyone said, no, I never heard about it. Completely unknown. And Mary, you said you didn't learn about it uh, during your marriage prep? No, I. Uh, it was left out of my pre-cana experience. I uh, stumbled upon it on my own, uh, kind of a... My own, I guess, the Holy Spirit inspired me. I can't really think of another reason why I looked into it, really. Um, and uh, yeah, my husband and I ended up buying books and taking a class and uh, figuring it out on our own, you know, and a few different methods throughout the course of our not very long five and a half year marriage. Um, it's longer than all of us combined. <laughs> <laughs> We're at That's zero. True. That is true. I got that, I got that on you. But, um, well, Lauren and Diane, did you, did you ever hear about uh, natural family planning before taking this study that you'd taken? I did, but only, you know, only probably when I was like maybe 25 or so. So it wasn't so, taught in your high school biology class or, no, or even not, by, your, by your parents? No, I had I'd never, yeah, I'd never heard of it. I learned of it when I started going to St. John's. <laughs> yeah. And I think probably at the Humane Vitae conference. There was someone there that was promoting it, or I guess, or a teacher, and they explained it a little bit, but I never knew what it was, no. Mm. To be honest, though, I never really studied, you know, human sexuality. So it was it was just not something that I, I, I mean, sort of in, at that time, you know, I was focused on school and, and whatever. I was not thinking about any of that stuff either, so. Hmm. But you are saying that any married couple who does pre-canid should have this introduced to them at that time? Yes, if not earlier. I mean, I can remember growing up, my parents had books about it in their home because they practiced it. And and so I got an education when I was younger about it. I mean, it was just very normal to talk about. To yeah, think I, think, about. I think the earlier the better. A lot of times by the time you get to pre-cana, not that you're too late. Um, you have a lot of your visions. You have a lot of, you have a lot yeah. of world experience and a lot of influences already. Um, and for that to be the introduction to um, the church's teaching on sexuality... I think does a disservice. Definitely. Because I used to, when I used to do marriage prep, I used to ask the, the uh, couples, well, how many kids do you want to have? And inevitably it'd be two. Maybe if I was lucky, they'd say three, you know. And now I realize I'm not asking that question anymore because that's a terrible question because they're they're coming from a completely worldly viewpoint where they've already decided how many kids they want to have, which is not the right attitude to enter into it. So, you know, it, it, when in you with you and your husband, Mary, did you have a plan for how many kids you're going to have or just, you know, completely open to whatever God had in store? Yeah, I would say we, we definitely had a picture. Um, it's, it was more than two, actually. It was like three or four. Okay. Um, so we have one at home right now and we're, I'm cooking number two right now. Um, <laughs> expecting uh, is my second. So, but yeah, I mean, I think 
um, one of the things about NFP is uh, how you have to really be open to, to God's plan. And even if you have uh, the, the picture of a large family in your head, that might not be what necessarily happens. Um, and that can be a, a disappointment in, in a different way. You know, and I, I think that's something that when we say we're open to God's plan, it's really truly an openness to whatever number he wants for you. It's something that came up, I think, several times when we all were in Endow together is that notion of so many women say they want their boy and their girl and they're done. And it just seems like everyone thinks they're in control yeah. of that. Birth control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They get to choose, you know, how many kids and exactly when they want them. Um, and, you know, if it's someone who's been in, been on birth control, let's say for 10 years, 15, it's like, I'm going to get off. I'll have my kid. I'll wait. I'll have my next kid. This is my plan. But I think a lot of people end up facing this harsh reality that they're not in control. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Diane, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think to your point at that study too, there were, I think oh, we talked about a lot of women who are on birth control for many years and they think as soon as they come off, they're going to be able to get pregnant, you know, easy, whatever. And um, I mean, to Mary's point, I think it's, it's really God, you know, like you have to be open to God's plan and we don't know, you know, necessarily what that is. I think the biggest takeaway from that study too is that like children are a gift. They're not a disease. <laughs> they're not, you know something uh, people kind of treat you know kids as like this disease or something that needs to be treated and that's not the case or they treat them as if they're a commodity mm -hmm. right yeah i'm gonna go and purchase my kid now yeah you know, it's like yeah exactly and so um the study in an nfp really just teaches you to be like I think the most important thing is you can't have this like number in your head. It's, I mean, that that's the struggle of sort of the Christian life of like making yourself essentially God, you know, wanting to be in control mm -hmm. of everything. And you really, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an active self-surrender and trust. And I think that's where the beauty of NFP too, in that Christ is the center of your relationship and your sex is that, you know, like you're prayerfully discerning with God, what, what is your plan for our marriage and, and our future? So is that a scary experience to surrender that aspect of your life to God? Yes. Really? A little bit sometimes. Yeah. It can but be. don't we all feel that but way? I, I, right. I think but like any major thing or, I mean, I like with you becoming a priest, I imagine there's a little bit fear, like I'm really going to, I mean, yeah, no, sure. You know, yeah. Yeah, anything agree. entering into your marriage, um, it could even be like taking that next leap or like a new job or moving, you know, but we have that benefit as Catholics that we can give it up to God rely on God, trust in his plan. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You try to live without fear. Um, but there mm -hmm. are moments where it's, it's a little scary, not, mm -hmm. know, not knowing what's, what's going to come next, but that's, to your point, that's many things in life. Mm -hmm. Sure. Certainly. Sure. But now here's, here's a, a, a wrench I want to throw into this is that some people say that NFP is nothing but Catholic contraception. How do you respond to that? That's just a catchy little phrase, right? <laughs> I mean, that's why they're saying it. But it, but I think it makes an important point that, that it, NFP can be used with a contraceptive mentality. I, I think it can. I have heard this phrase before. Um, I think it's more difficult to use NFP with a contraceptive mentality. Uh, the Just the nature of it uh, involves a communication about the topic of life and about your marriage and your family every month or so. Um, and so I think, you know, falling into that trap of, you know, what are we discerning? What are our reasons for avoiding? 
you know, it looks different when you're making that decision for the here and now, maybe today or the next week versus, oh, I'm going on a pill or um, maybe getting an IUD put in. And you're making that decision for really a long, uh, more of a long-term sure. thing. You know, I think there's, you're not having that conversation with your spouse um, or a conversation with God frequently. You may, you may disagree with me, so feel free to do so because I'm not married. So I have the perspective of not really having any practical uh, consequences for this thought, you know, but it would seem to me that, you know, if you're practicing NFP, it seems like the default should be open to life unless there's a reason to abstain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I think, I think when we talk about NFP and this is, this is a really good point that I think you should make is you're not required to use NFP, right? NFP is, uh, you know, natural family planning is, a valid method for avoiding or spacing your children. Um, but we're not obliged to use NFP. Um, you can just live your life as a happily <laughs> married couple and just be open to life at any point in time. Um, it's just that, you know, the church is aware, again, in her wisdom, that there are reasons to need to space children or avoid at a particular time for many reasons. Um, and that discernment is really left up to the couple. Yeah. The, the distinction I like to make between NFP and, and birth control is, that is the distinction between dieting and bulimia. Yeah. Because in dieting, you're saying, I don't want the effects, so I'm not going to in indulge in the pleasure. In bulimia, you say, I don't want the effects, but I also want the pleasure. I also think NFP is very honest about, you know, what sex is and what a marriage is um, in that, you, you know, with sex, even when you're practicing NFP, you know, there's always the possibility of having a child, you know, that's, that's sex was made for bonding and babies. And, and those two things, um, are always there and there's no avoiding it. And any, uh, dishonesty around that or saying like, that's, those two things aren't a part of sex. It, it, it just, but what's the, what's the success rate of NFP? I, I think is it's it? actually fairly high. It's in the high 90s, uh, which I think is right up there with a, the perfect use of most artificial, artificial contraceptives. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, perfect use of anything, um, any of those methods. <laughs> I always uh, I always laugh because when they say, well, the pill is 99.9% effective. I'm like, yeah, that's with perfect use. And, you know, sure, you can't people are human. Right. Yeah. People are human. So I think when you look at the uh, practical effective percentage. I think it's lower than that with most artificial contraceptions. So. Yeah. One of the, I, I heard a CD, I think it was by Jason, Jason Everett perhaps, or Christopher Wester, one of those uh, chastity speakers about uh, the negative effects of some of the artificial birth control from simply a biological standpoint. Yeah. And some of the stuff that, that husbands are requesting women to put in their bodies is really so detrimental with the connections with breast, uh, breast cancer and and just the chemicals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're putting something into your body that's not supposed to be there. Um, and I think, you know, our culture right now is very much into trying to live a healthy lifestyle. Like, you know, if you look at the line at Whole Foods or whatnot, <laughs> and, you know, and these same um, people who are, you know, only buying organic this and, you know, uh, I, I even heard once somebody was buying an organic mattress for themselves, um, <laughs> but you know, then they're maybe on the pill and it's like, well, have you thought about that? Yeah. You know, um, no, it's that's... so true. It, it almost seems completely hypocritical that people will pump in artificial hormones, right? I mean, there's no real hormones in any kind of hormonal 
birth control. Um, and the, the natural producing, you know, women's hormones are suppressed because yeah. of this artificial crap that's just flowing through their bodies. And there are some immediate, you know, adverse effects mm-hmm. like changes in mood, depression, uh, developing blood clots, right? Yeah. Crazy things, you know, like with your heart. Uh, I've heard, you know, I had a friend, I think, that had this horrible reaction to something, you know, that was required surgery, like really serious, um, a heart oh. condition. Uh, but then there's also these things that manifest much later, like you said, like it could lead to breast cancer. Um, but I found one article from a doctor who said that she wouldn't prescribe birth control in good conscience anymore. And she touched on, you know, effects later on, irritable bowel, bowel syndrome, autoimmune diseases, osteoporosis, osteoarthritis, atherosclerosis, I don't know what that is, heart disease, diabetes, insulin resistance, kidney disease, poor vaginal health, and even dementia. Oh. <laughs> There's so many possible a, things. It's quite a lineup. Yeah, but I mean, your hormones are what keep you healthy. You know, they send messages throughout the body and cause things to happen. And so if you're tampering with or suppressing or, you know, infecting them in any way, it's just kind of basic common sense, right? That there's going to be some effects to this. Yeah. You're taking something that's working well Mm -hmm. and deliberately breaking it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because pregnancy is not a disease. Or even just, you know, the cycle. Yeah. And that's, I think, what the great thing of NFP, I haven't studied it, I haven't learned it, I haven't been taught it, but that one conference I went to, um, who was the doctor that was there, Diane? Dr. Nolte. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Yeah. Nolte gave a presentation and she just touched on some things, um, you know, that the cervical fluid changes throughout the cycle and that the majority of the time it's actually like a web uh, and it's, you know, pr- serving to protect and then it'll change and become like these channels. Yep. Um, and there's visible signs of that. And it's like, wow. You know, I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that the body does that. It's just helpful to know how your body works and what it's doing. And it's, sure. it's this perfect design by God that most of us don't even know. Yeah. I mean, when my husband and I, uh, you know, started studying it together, it really was. It was like mind blowing um, how well the body works, especially the female body um, and how your bodies can work together. And it's yeah, really there's there is science behind it. Um, there is biology to most of uh, us, it's just, side. <laughs> it's just a mystery. And, you know, unfortunately, birth control pills are given to girls at very young ages if they have any kind of debilitating symptoms. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, here, give her this. And it, I, it just seems like not enough people are looking into, well, is this healthy for me or not? Do I really need this? Can we actually look into what's causing this or find another solution? Yeah. I think, too, I mean, not only from, like, the physical health perspective, but spiritual health. I mean, contraception is a grave sin. So, you know, it's really important for people to understand what the church teaches from a moral perspective. So one of the things that we learned in this study was that the church, you know, asked us to consider three things, the object chosen, um, the end or the intention, and the circumstances of the action. And if any one of those elements is out of harmony— that, you know, like an act is, it can never be morally licit. So, you know, the sexual act is geared towards the generation of new life and a distortion of that is a sin against nature. It's intrinsically evil. Um, so, you know, for, for people to understand that, uh, you gotta, you, a lot of, a lot of things that I, you know, arguments that I hear is sort of like, well, the intention, right? Like in NFP and contraception, the intention is to, um, 
is to prevent pregnancy. So that's a commonality. But, you know, even though those couples have that same goal to avoid pregnancy, the difference is the means. Like couples who contracept are sterilizing the more, the marital act by impeding that procreative, you know, potential of sex. Whereas couples who use NFP don't sterilize the uh, marital act and they, you know, they just don't, they, they kind of work with God's design. So um, I think it's, it's really important to understand sort of the morality of this and that we're talking about, you know, something, we're talking about a grave matter. And so that's, that's very important, I think, for, for people to understand and to, to really study sort of like the why of why are these things different. Yeah, that's very true. It's, uh, you know, I, I'm reminded of what Our Lady said at Fatima when she said to the three children that more souls go to hell because of sins of the flesh than any other sins, mm -hmm. because it is always grave matter, you know, you, when we deal with sins of the flesh, and, and particularly this one, which is so widespread, where it's well over 90% of, you know, Catholic couples are using artificial birth control, and partly because I think the culture has shifted so drastically, you know, because it was unthinkable up until 1930. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody, not even Protestants, accepted it, and then the Protestants started accepting it for just small reasons, and then kind of snowballed from there into the fact that it's not even talked about in Protestant circles anymore. You know, and unfortunately, it's not talked much about in Catholic circles either. You know, I, I tr I've tried to kind of obliquely deal with it. You know, one, one of the challenges I have on Sunday, was Sunday Masses is I can't say things sometimes too explicitly for seven-year-olds that are sitting <laughs> in the congregation. Yeah. And I have to try to reach the 80-year-olds too, who, you know, for this, for this would not be a, a practical issue. You know, so I've tried to mention just about the, the necessity of being open to life, and I hope they kind of read between the lines and understand kind of what I'm trying to say. But, but I think, you know, definitely when talking with you know, high school students or college students or young adults, this is when these topics should be brought up and, and the, the emphasis should be on the grave moral evil that contraception is. Absolutely. I think that um, that understanding is certainly missing, right? Like you just touched on. Over 90% of Catholics do use contraception. So I, I just wonder, do they even know this is a mortal sin? Or do they just say, well, that's ridiculous, you know, that I can't use birth control. I, I can't have, you know, potentially 10 children. I can't afford that many, you know. So I don't know. How do we? Well, that's why I think it's it's so important. Like this, I feel sort of called in by God in some way as as a mission to to you know like get this understanding out because a lot of people you know will just use that excuse of like well the intention is the same to avoid pregnancy so why would I use NFP over this pill which is much easier and and whatever um, so I think you know that's beautiful you feel called to spread this message. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we can't just sit on it, right? I mean, we know that this is an issue and uh, the fact that it's a grave matter and this is the, you know, like human sexuality is, um, it's such a gift and, and sex is holy and, uh, you know, it's it's just something that, uh, you know, if we're concerned with kind of the spreading of Christ's kingdom on earth, then I think that we need to take this very seriously and um, get the message out in, in whatever way we can. You know, obviously starting through this podcast, but, um, you know, I <laughs> would encourage... this episode. That's right. Yeah, but I would I would encourage everyone to kind of to study the morality of this so that you can speak, you know, uh, speak to friends and family and just be open about like when these things come up and you hear someone talk about the pill to explain you know in layman's terms you know why why is this why does the church teach against contraception why is nfp you know like why uh you know what what the difference is well you know something you said lauren though kind of helped me to understand a little bit deeper of why this is not so accepted you know you talked about how 
it's why do people not know it's a mortal sin? But I think a lot of Catholics don't even recognize that a mortal sin is a, a thing. It doesn't even exist. Mm. Yeah. And that's a challenge with the Catholic faith is that it's a web and every piece of the Catholic faith impacts another piece of the Catholic faith. So either you accept the whole web or there's large pieces missing and the pieces in isolation don't make any sense, right? So if people don't first accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life, you know, and they're following him and they, they understand that the church has been giving authority and teachings and they understand the teachings about what the human body means and, and that truth is not relative, that it's, it's objective. So if you don't have all of that and you don't understand that sin, you know, mortal sin is real and hell is real, like this one teaching in isolation doesn't really resonate unless they have all that other kind of structure in place to understand it. And that's the challenge is how can we put the structure in place so that when this teaching is presented to them, they don't wholesale just reject it and say, this is ridiculous. This is from the Middle Ages. Any insights on how to do that? Oh, boy. I think that's a couple other episodes on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe. Maybe. No, but I mean, even just that we're here, right? We're spreading the faith in hopefully a somewhat interesting way, <laughs> an enjoyable way uh, to listen. I mean, I've shared before, I got a huge bump in my knowledge of the faith from participating in RCIA as an already confirmed Catholic uh, so that was huge for me, and I will just shout out again, Father Joseph Gill is an excellent teacher. So if you ever hear him give an announcement, RCIA is happening, you know, da-da-da-da, if you want to stop by, you should stop by, you know? I think that's a great point, because, uh, you know, for so many Catholics, their Catholic education really wraps up around eighth grade mm -hmm. um, or ninth grade, depending on when they make confirmation, and that's really the last formal academic contact that you have with most Catholics and you know humane vitae is not something you know you don't talk about you're not going to cover usually. right you're not going to cover that before eighth grade you know hopefully you're covering it ideally before they're coming to you in pre-cana but you know getting them in that that time period you know how do you get how do you get to Catholics in that time period and talk to them and communicate this teaching with them right I don't have an answer off the top of my head right now but well, I, young adult ministry. I would also encourage to to have those conversations, you know, that require courage, right? Like it's real courage. And in my case, it's probably people in my own family, cousins, you know, around my age, 20s and 30s. I'll hear comments here and there, you know, about birth control. And I'll kind of think, Ugh. Mm, <laughs> for the, yeah. how do you, how the do you... health effects and the spiritual effects. But I don't know. So then I run into this, too. Like if I tell them I might be removing their ignorance and I don't know that I want to do that, right? Because, but if if the church's teaching really leads to real happiness, wouldn't we want to have yeah. them experience real happiness? Yeah. yeah, and love love is willing the good of the other, and ultimately we want to get these souls to heaven. So if you cause a little heartbreak along the way, and you know some hurt feelings, I think it's well worth it for for Christ and His kingdom. I think many times couples they're living in a place of fear, and they might not know it. A lot of people they. And I've, I've heard this from married couples. They're like, well, well, we just, we can't handle another right now. You know, because it's, it is, it's chaos having little kids, especially, you know, when they physically need you as a child. And then as they get older, you know, there's school things and this and that. And, and you feel like you have to keep up with all of it. And they somehow, sometimes feel they don't have, have the capacity mm -hmm. for another one. Um, and that's really a place of fear that you're living in. It's not a place of trust. And the goal here is, is trust in God in mm -hmm. everything. Sure. No, that's so true. I think I know for my, I can just share personally, like seeing the divine mercy image, right? Jesus, I trust in you. When I first saw that, it's like, oh yeah, of course. 
Like, what? What's so hard about that? But then when you actually yeah. apply it to your life and try to live it out. So in the case of a married person, it's like putting the trust in God, right? Being open to life, not using contraception. That's this, this huge leap that really living in trust of God. I do wonder, though, you know, and it, it, absolutely that's, that's very true. But how much of that trust is or that lack of trust, that fear is just fear of I'm going to lose the nice lifestyle yeah. that I have. You know, it's not even I'm going to be too busy, but I can't go on these vacations. I can't get people are going to give me weird looks. You know? I think and, that can happen sometimes. I'm not saying it's everyone. But, yeah, I think that can. Well, the other piece I see is that we all want to be in control of our lives. Yeah. Right. Like where we work, you know, everything, our schedules. And we're so overscheduled, generally, most of us. And uh, living in the life of faith is putting it up to God, letting the Holy Spirit guide you, right? And, you know, Diane and I have both met religious who do this and live this way. And, you know, it's their motto, I guess. But there's a truth to it that I think we as lay people are, I don't know, just living in the world we live in today, we lose that. But in many respects, it takes more trust to live in the world we live in today. I think one thing, too, that we have to remember is that all these teachings on contraception and sort of just, um, you know, marital chastity can seem impossible, but we have grace through the sacraments. So the sacraments are key. And you have grace through the sacrament of marriage to, you know, to be able to, to live this out. So I think, you know, people just need to for sure, you know, get get to mass, the Eucharist, like receive the Eucharist as often as you can and, and just really, you know, just remember that, that there's grace out there, you know, in order to be able to live these truths. That's such a great point. And there's confession mm-hmm. for the times that we fail. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And another key just made me think of is get married in the church. <laughs> that's how a sacrament because, happens. Yes. I mean, that's, that's on the decline. Right? Yeah, it is. Everyone feels like, oh, I can get married outside. Oh, yeah, my partner doesn't really want to get married in the church, so we're not. That's very true. This, Deprive this is a yourself big of great problem. Sacrifice. This is yeah, sac- oh. sacramental grace. Yeah. And people just have no idea, I don't think, or they think it's not important, or they, I don't know if they realize that God is involved. You know? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. And I'd say don't be afraid of sacrifice. I'm sure you... Yeah. Would you say, Mary, that since you've had your first child, you've learned a whole new meaning of sacrifice? Yes, but in a good way. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's good to hear. No, absolutely. I mean, when you have a baby, it's they have, you know, every need that they have has to be met by you or by someone. Right. You know, like my spouse or, you know, someone around me. Um, yeah, their their every need needs to be be met and that's sacrificial. That means you know, at three in the morning, that means when I want to be doing something else, that means, you know, if my husband and I are enjoying a movie that, you know, that, but that sacrifice, it's so great. I, I literally love, I love being a mom. So awesome. Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel like much of a sacrifice to me. And that's the beauty of marriage too, of like, you know, the spouses are supposed to help each other to get to heaven and that sort of sacrifice and self-gift, that is yeah. how we get to heaven. Yeah. Of giving of ourselves completely. Yeah, especially in the beginning, like, you know, many of the needs that my son needs right at the beginning are met by me, uh, by the mother, um, from a physical standpoint. And then, you know, I fortunately have a spouse who loves and supports me. um, And that's so important because then he's kind of (laughs) helping me meet my own needs, you know, like I'm sitting there on the couch again, feeding my son. And, you know, I'm like, well, I need to eat too. (laughs) You know, yeah, the practice, yeah, the practicalities of that. And that's, you know, one way that he shows me love in a time of, of 
like in the, that time post birth. Yeah. Um, awesome. So, well, thank you so much for joining us again, Mary, on uh, our, our episode today. Thank you for having me. Here's my challenge for all those listening. So if you're married, be open to life. Investigate this teaching about the beauty of human sexuality, about the beauty of, of, of openness to life and, and from Humanae Vitae's perspective. If you're not married, form yourself. Form yourself uh, ready if you're, if you're considering marriage, if you're discerning marriage, because this is a great teaching that you will use greatly in your future marriage with your spouse. And it's one that glorifies God, one that's challenging, but also one that's very life-giving and very will lead you to, to great holiness. You can join us on Veritas Catholic Radio, 1350 AM, and also wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time to Restless.